exists a lot of times in a, a mental space of trying to accept paradox. I mean, my my bachelor's thesis I did on Buddhism, so I was already kind of comfortable with this dual space of we're doing intense symbol symbolic logic, but we are doing it so that we can have enlightened, you know, realizations about God. Because just as much as there are realms of magical practice that involve a, a large amount of research, if you never take that research and apply it in praxis, it doesn't matter how much you understand it, you're not really engaged in the work. And there's actually a level of understanding that you're not going to ever be able to reach. Um, you have to actively practice it. And it's that way with Kabbalah too, is it doesn't matter how much I study about a sphere, unless I sit down in active meditation on what that intelligence represents, I only have this one-dimensional human kind of idea of what that sphere might be. Hello and welcome to the Spirit Box Podcast, where we explore folklore, magic, the world of the spirits and everything in between. For episode 92, we welcome Makala Ann, founder, podcaster and creator behind Saturn Vox. Multimedia a cult education and divination platform based out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Michaela was born in Atlanta, Georgia to a Catholic family on her mother's side and had a large Jewish heritage on her father's side. Though she attended Catholic high school until high school, she turned to the occult at an early age, beginning her studies on witchcraft and tarot at the early age of 15. Michaela left Atlanta for New Orleans to attend college at Loyola University, where she graduated with honors in philosophy and world religions, with a concentration in Buddhism and its implications on language. Studying Buddhist philosophy and Chinese linguistics gave Michaela a unique perspective into language use as depicted by pictorial symbols, as opposed to the phonetic style of the West. This perspective involves an understanding of each pictorial symbol as holding multiple layers of meanings and the ability to be able to hold all those meanings in one's mind, so as to map out a full four-dimensional picture of these two-dimensional shapes. During her downtime in college, Bacala began to delve deeper into more formal realms of occult study, beginning her study of the Jewish Kabbalah and mysticism with vigor, and upon graduation she was more than happy to turn her attention to these studies, along with those of traditional witchcraft. She currently practices a flavor of witchcraft that flawlessly blends her studies in philosophy, folklore, and linguistic arts into a fusion of animism, theurgy, and Kabbalistic, as well as astrological study. Now in the Plus Show, we discuss aesthetics and art as juxtaposed with magic and what that means for people's view of the world. And we pull, pull that thread into ideas around Tiferet and explore the concept of living in joy. And Makala also discusses Saturn into in further detail. And it's it's a really illuminating and engaging conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Now, if you'd like to hear the plus show, the easiest way to do that is to click on the Patreon link below in my link tree and come and join the party. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can always buy me a book or you know give us the old five-star review. Right, let's get 
on with the show. Michaela Allen, you are very welcome to the Spirit Box. And it's uh, take two, take two on the introduction, as uh, my, my home life has interrupted the initial recording. Um, you're very welcome. Could you uh, give the audience an introduction into, into yourself and your work? Yes. Okay. So, hi, I am Michaela Ann. I run what I'm kind of calling a multimedia platform, which is called Saturn Box. I do professional divination. I've been doing that for five or six years now. I host a podcast, which is also called Saturn Box. And mostly magically, I find my studies based in mysticism as well as chaos magic and a little bit of folklore. Oh, fantastic. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the folklore, but that's really interesting. Um, so you've certainly, you've got a, you've got a, your own podcast, your own show, um, which is fantastic. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of your work. I really enjoyed it. Um, and one of the things we were chatting about earlier was, or I was saying earlier, was uh, about listening to you talk to, to, to Sasha Rabbit, who is a guest on, on, on this show a couple of uh, a couple of months back. And I was really struck by the level of your insight and knowledge into in into the the subject areas um, of, of interest and, and the subject areas of expertise um, of, of Sasha. And and that was one I kind of wanted to ask you about then as well is, is like what drew you into that space? And that's kind of one of the areas I love to explore with people like yourself is, you know, what started you out on, on this path into the level of depth of study? You know, what, what, what drew you in? So I feel like that's a, a loaded question because there's a, so many different entry points that I could start at, but I guess really i've i've always been interested in the occult um i went to catholic school and i remember somebody handing me a book that was about all the different world religions but it was written from the perspective of a catholic and so it was kind of one of those propaganda books that was like here's what people believe and here's why you shouldn't believe them. Here's why you should pick Catholicism. And of course, I've been a voracious reader ever since I was a young girl reading any fantasy novel that I could get my hands on. And the very last religion in this book was Wicca. And I was like, holy shit, people are actually witches. Like this isn't just something from a book. This is something I can actually study and learn and basically fulfill my childhood dream of being a witch. So uh, instead of getting me to become more Catholic, it actually opened up this door for me to just accept that this was something that was also in real life or tangible in real life and not just in the storybooks. So from there, I did kind of weirdly was new age for a while, kind of involved in 
paranormal groups and burner communities that I would now kind of say are not as in the depth of academic study as what I do now. And I kind of grew out of it very quickly just because astrologically speaking, I have Saturn and the moon conjunct each other in the ninth house, which is the house of philosophy, theology, metaphysics. So I just think natally, I would have never fallen into new age or Wicca, which is not new age, but it's not really academic enough for me. It's just my chart. It's just in my chart. So I went to, I kind of was agnostic for a while. I went to college. I studied world religions and philosophy because I just really wanted to know God. That was, it was just always important that I wanted to understand consciousness and God. And I felt like those were the two best fields to study those things. And just coincidentally through that, found out that, oh, actually a lot of philosophers were also magicians. <laughs> and once I put those two together, it was kind of like all bets were off and I was allowed to re-enter this space of a cult through this new, more philosophic perspective or mystic perspective. There were, there were definitely like, I'm kind of underplaying it a bit because there were dreams that I was getting that were like encouraging me to go back as well. So it wasn't just like, a, oh, I happened to stumble across porphyry and realized, you know, that I could do this. It was more like I started getting dreams and then that caused me to do more research. And then I put two and two together and like reconciled it within my own heart. So it's kind of long-winded. I hope that made sense. No, uh, thank you. I think it's really, uh, really interesting. I love what you said there about um, how uh, you wanted to know God. Um, and that's, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's just really striking um, because I, I know, I also know exactly what you mean um, in terms of that kind of impetus, that driver um, to, to explore, to know, to understand as much as we can, you know, um, as in, in our current forms, as it were, um, what uh, what really interests me is is that that academic uh, flair that 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 you have have, have shown and and um, you know um, are, are you know uh, comes through in in your work a lot a lot um, and how does that marry up that academic study that that kind of that deep work i've seen you're working in, in in kabbalah you know that constant book heavy study how does that marry up with that more kind of um you know i guess the the mystical side of that search of i want to know god that that impulse to 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 understand to explore like it seems to come from a, a mystical place you know that idea of i want to know god and then but the drivers and, and, the, and the route you're taking is a very academic one. How, how does that marry up for you? So to me, it's, it's kind of an engagement between the conventional and the, you know, universal. I exist a lot of times in a, a 
mental space of trying to accept paradox. I mean, my, my bachelor's thesis I did on Buddhism. So I was already kind of comfortable with this dual space of we're doing intense symbol symbolic logic, but we are doing it so that we can have enlightened, you know, realizations about God. So Kabbalah is very similar to where I will read and I will write. And as I'm reading and I'm writing, it's like, oh, I have this epiphany. Oh, I realize, oh, now this, oh, that's how it falls together. And I like to think that it's also a union between me and my spirit guides and me and my ancestors, because there will also be moments that I will just be I wouldn't say meditating, like active meditation, but just like peaceful, no thought in outside space. Like I'm just sitting in my garden or I'm just walking from point A to point B on autopilot and something will catch my eye and I'll just have this click moment, like this inner knowing feels like it's permeating through my body and I oftentimes don't think that those things come from me. It's like, I said this to someone else the other day. It's like, I do the research first and then my spirits kind of sort it out and in my consciousness and allow me to have these epiphanies later on. And, and kind of pulling that thread a bit, you know, are you, are you guided in, in like a very literal sense to like, pick up that book you know or talk to that person does is that the kind of thing that happens there sometimes it does happen that way yes um there are definitely times when it falls into place like that where you were mentioning uh how you know intelligent i sounded on the interview with sasha but i had just had a conversation with another really good friend of mine Joshua Madara, who is actually my first guest on the podcast about cognitive blending the day before me and Sasha did that interview, uh, like Josh was teaching me about semiotics. And then I, I got on the podcast and I realized, oh, Sasha's talking about semiotics, <laughs> but it, it wasn't something I that I had even known 24 hours ahead of time. So shout out to Josh for making me seem smart. <laughs> <laughs> so you were well briefed brilliant um and you mentioned like um wasn't well, talk i guess talking about semiotics to a degree you know like and how it's like you know you, you you've done some work on uh seeing symbols that piece you did on on an exploration of in, in of the esoteric in, in tarot how much has like talk to me about symbolism because I, I, what i'm really interested in and what i'm really kind of drawn to is is this is that how the, the the mystic and the kind of academic kind of bump up against each other you know um and what unfolds from that because i it, you do see it again and again you know and lots of areas of magic i mean as you well know require uh, a deep in investment in 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 study in 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 repetition in, in you know it's like you got to do your homework you know uh, and your research when you explore symbolism uh particularly like 
in looking at divination or when you explore symbolism in looking at things like Kabbalah you know you mentioned you, you you there is an aspect of kind of engagement with spirit how how subtle is that or is it is it direct does it feel direct It really depends. Oftentimes I find when I'm reading for clients, I think it is, it just does oftentimes come through like a channel. Uh, I don't feel like I have a problem with knowing which layer of symbolism the card represents when I'm reading for other people. Uh, it tends to be more of a problem when I'm reading for myself. That was actually one of the first indicators to me that I was maybe channeling when I first started reading tarot because it would be this weird sensation of I would try to read for myself and I would look at the cards and I would be like I don't know what these mean but I didn't have a problem with that when reading for my clients so I was like where is the disconnect I realized oh because I'm channeling spirits oftentimes or they're the ones that are pointing me in that direction but I think to answer like your deeper question about symbolism and that the engagement between learning about the symbols versus allowing them to permeate through you, it is like this space of you, you'd like to find the harmonious tension between the two, ideally, because just as much as there are realms of magical practice that involve a, a large amount of research, if you never take that research and apply it in praxis, it doesn't matter how much you understand it, you're not really engaged in the work. And there's actually a level of understanding that you're not going to ever be able to reach. Um, you have to actively practice it. And it's that way with Kabbalah too, is it doesn't matter how much I study about a sphere unless I sit down in active meditation on what that intelligence represents, I only have this one dimensional human kind of idea of what that sphere might be. And so it takes this allowing yourself to run in return between the two spaces that again, kind of allows the wisdom to permeate through your subconscious. And then you're not even actively thinking about it like, oh, I'm, you know, interpreting symbols. It's like, I just know. I just have a knowing inside of me. Um, at least that's how it works for me. And is that reflective of, of um, you, you mentioned kind of uh, dreams uh, and dreams having an impact on your direction um is it a similar thing to that do do are your dreams were they a literal thing or were they a more symbolic thing and you know what was i guess i guess what i'm, what I'm asking for in some of these questions really is, is is what's that moment in terms of when this your your kind of journey into this space when it stops being kind of a, a an area of inquiry and an interest and you get that moment where you're like this is real this is different it's real okay so i do want to 
quickly clarify, it's, it's important for the rest of the story, that I actually do not do a lot of psychic dreaming. I sometimes do. I, I wouldn't say that I never do, but that's definitely not like my most powerful gift. I don't know if you need to cut this part out, but a lot of it has to do because I smoke sure. weed. Right. Like I yeah, smoke yeah. weed. And so then that will really, it, it inhibits me from being able to dream every night right. or to okay. dream properly. Yeah. Um, so the, the story is that I studied abroad in Japan. Mm -hmm. I went to Japan to study Buddhism actually oh, wow. for school because that was what I was doing my thesis on. Right. So I spent six months in Tokyo and they have super intense drug laws. Mm. So I just didn't smoke weed while I was there. Right. I just didn't smoke at all. Mm -hmm. And so I started dreaming every night. Um, and so while I didn't even think about this until you're asking me these questions, but one of the things that I was learning while I was in Japan is I was actually doing a little bit of work on Chinese linguistics. Why? because the pictorial language of China and of Japan and of Korea is, it activates a different part of our brain. It act, actually activates both the right and the left hemisphere instead of only activating, I believe it's the, I don't know, whichever one is the analytical one is the one that phonetic languages will activate but a pictorial language will actually activate both you're being stimulated on both levels and the hypothesis that my teacher was trying to push why he was having us study chinese linguistics in a buddhism class was to emphasize that this is why buddhism flourished in east asia this is why the Chinese and the Japanese were able to embrace it in a way that has always been difficult for Westerners because they could understand the paradox that was being presented through Buddhism because their language was already presented to them in a way that was multi-layered where every character is inter, you know, a complex character is just built up of simple characters, which demonstrates the interconnection between this idea and that idea. It also allows them to, you know, kind of, I envision it like flipping through a picture book and you have to say, oh, it's this layer that the picture is representing. So it, it's all about context clues sometimes for you to understand what the Chinese character is trying to portray. So as I'm learning about all this, and please bear in mind that I had not really studied witchcraft at this point. Like I had read Silver Raven Wolf's How to Ride a Raven Silver Wolf, whatever her name is, How to Ride a Silver Broomstick and like other, you know, books that were very popular for solitary Wiccans in the 90s. But that were, was things I'd read at you know, 16 years old, and this is almost a decade later from that, um, I had a dream where it was Hecate, and I'd never heard her name before. I didn't know who she was. 
I just was sitting at, we were sitting down at a table and she was reading my cards. She was reading my tarot cards. And so it's funny because at the time, like I didn't remember what she had said or what the reading was or anything about that. I just woke up and I remembered it was Hikate and she had been reading my cards. Oh, and I, she, I did remember that she had said to me, you are supposed to be doing this. Why do you not pay attention to this? So that was like my wake up call. I did not throw myself into it while I was still in Japan. But as soon as I got back to America, I set up an altar. I started doing research. And within maybe seven months of that experience, I'm working in a voodoo shop in New Orleans and just talking to anybody who will answer any question and reading any book that I can get my hands on. So I wouldn't say that that's like a moment where you're like, oh my God, this is real because nothing, it's not like I did magic or I asked for anything, but looking up who Hecate was and like finding out that she was a real deity, she was queen of the witches and she's like sitting here telling me that I need to be a witch that felt real because I, where did my subconscious come up with that otherwise? Because I wasn't, you know, people always ask me when I tell this story, oh, you, you must have seen it somewhere. You saw her name somewhere. I really didn't. I really wasn't involved in this world. So there was no way that I, I know she's very popular now, but I did not know that at the time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that was the moment. Yeah, I, I, I really, that really resonates a lot, you know. And 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 there's been like a few, a few guests who've been on the show who, who have had that kind of tap on the shoulder from Hikate. Like you know, you know, you're not alone in 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 that area, you know. Um, and it seems to be one of those things where some people are born initiated, you know, and 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 that's what that tap in the shoulder is you know it's kind of uh, by the way this is what you are <laughs> you know that that kind of thing um and 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 how did that settle with you i mean it sounds like it, it you know you were fairly comfortable with that and you you you'd made changes in your life that brought you to new orleans that kind of you know in, in the in the in the shop you were working in it sounds like you know you took to it pretty well you know was it a jarring thing or were you quite I comfortable? I don't want to sound egotistical because I, I truly believe in humility uh, above all things, but no, it did, it did not surprise me. It felt uh, right and deserved. It felt like, you know, I don't know how much you read tarot, but it was a nine of cups moment because it was like this thing that you had been dreaming of and wishing for and just feeling with all of your might, like, this is something I want to do from a very young age to have some sort of authority figure <laughs> come and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's for you. You're allowed to do that. It is kind of like both a relief and this feeling of like, I knew it at the same time. I, I'm a complete tarot Luddite. I've, I've, I've no 
no deep comprehension whatsoever. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that means very little to me. <laughs> um, to, to my to my great shame, uh, exploring these areas. Um, but that that's that's a wonderful thing, you know, listening to that reflection like that. That's a, isn't that that's just a wonderful thing, and and to. to to have that revelation and and to have that um, solidify in your life and in the path you're 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 going down, that, do you know it's it's one of the wonderful things um, that that I do get a lot from the this show uh, talking to people like yourself who are having experiences like this and the direction it's taken you is this just people listening that will will take a lot from that you know who may be at that stage where where you know a, a, a spirit is calling them um for for something that they were they have a, a soul calling to do now um taking a a, a entirely different direction um and i wanted to ask you about your show you know um and the impetus to do that you know to to create the show to um to talk to people uh, about their areas of expertise and conversations you wanted to have what's b beneath you know the the idea of of showcasing work what's the impetus for you there and i i asked this really as a fellow podcaster because I'm, I'm interested in 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 the ideas behind it, you know, and kind of what the the urge was to do to to to, to create the show. So, I don't know how many other podcasters will have this answer. Um, I think, I mean, there there, there are two reasons. One, of course, was because I really wanted to learn more. I always am wanting to learn more. And I definitely don't believe that, you know, learning is an independent process. I think everything is interdependent. We are always both student and teacher at the same time. So what better way to learn than to talk to the people that are, you know, other people that are doing the work. So that was definitely of part of it. That was, I think, my first reasoning why I wanted to do it. Um, but then something really sad happened. I, I'm in a Saturn return right now. And the way that my Saturn placement is set up is because of Saturn doing all that retrograding last year, it actually hit my natal Saturn three times. So I had a very, I would say, traumatic year last year. And a lot of it had to do with people making me feel small, people making me feel like I should not open my mouth or, and talk. I, I was literally getting told that, essentially. I was told, you have an evil spirit that makes it so that no one wants to pay any attention to you and, and it's futile for you to, to do that. So that was the sort of feedback that I was getting from 
some very, some people who are not in my life anymore. Um, and I spent, you know, a good two months basically being afraid to post anything. Even on my private Facebook, I was like, nobody wants to hear me speak. I need to just completely silence myself. And then the idea came back, like it came floating back. And it was like, remember how you had this idea. And I, I'm the type of person who always wants to heal. I don't believe in stagnation. I don't believe in letting, you know, I think that Saturn can liberate you of your chains of trauma just as much as Saturn can bind you to your trauma. And a lot of it has to do with taking accountability and putting the work in. So to me, you know, this part of me that just wanted to collapse inward and not vocalize my thoughts or opinions anymore, that was like chaining myself to my trauma. So the opposite of that is do the podcast, like talk to people, press publish it's still kind of a little bit like shadow work for me whenever I'm sitting there editing the sound waves and I'm like oh my god I can't believe I said that or or, or whatever um and every time nobody ever has any negative feedback and so every time I feel myself healing a little bit it's a little bit easier to press publish it's a little bit easier to press publish so yeah, I guess both of my reasons are rather selfish. They're both because to help me be a better occultist and to help me not be chained to my, you know, trauma of fearing the other. Uh, but, you know, I do truly believe that the podcast serves that same purpose for other people. I wanted the podcast to be a space where people could realize that there was a vastness to the occult. I also wanted it to be a place where people who are different kinds of learners, like everybody has a different way that they learn and not everybody is gonna be able to sit down and read 32 books in one year. Like that's absurd for me to believe that, but I want other people to like have the same resources that I do. So what better way than to just talk about it on a podcast instead of making them read the book? So I guess three, re those are my three reasons. Oh, I love that. I think that's fantastic. You know, so, so firstly, congratulations on, on, on a wonderful podcast, you know, you. I really enjoy it. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm just really chuffed for you to you know surmount something that was difficult and, and traumatic and to come back with uh you know sharing your your voice with us it's great it's really good work you know and um yeah and i i know exactly what you mean when you kind of press the publish button you know you ask all these questions of like do i have the right to do this you know uh, i mean I, i'm constantly torn with with kind of the ideas of you know what do I sound like? Do I even know what I'm talking about? All that kind of stuff. You know, and I'm sure there's people out there going, you, you don't. So you don't, you don't sound. But there's, there's people who do. So it's all good. People are, you know, but but I, I, yeah, I just wanted to kind of just say that to commend you on on stepping over that barrier and moving on past it. it these things are difficult. And uh, I just, I love, I love to hear that kind of thing. I just think it's brilliant. You know, I really do. So commend you on that. Thank um, you. And 
and I'm, 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 I also really value what you're saying about people learning different ways. So I'm, I'm dyslexic. So you too. I'm, oh snap! High five. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm a voracious reader as well. But some information I, I struggle to retain. And concentration can be a challenge sometimes. So I, yeah, I really absorb stuff through podcasts, and I think that was, um, I think that's an important contribution to um our cultural area you know that we we document these great conversations and and and, and you know people are, can digest them you know at their leisure which is wonderful it's a wonderful thing um again you know as, as i said again i really got a lot from your 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 conversation with sasha it was really interesting to hear you two unpack ideas and go back and forth on on it you know from from you know very knowledgeable perspective um i really got an awful lot from it um and is that where the name comes from saturn vox is it like it's like your your voice with 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 saturn you know in, in your in your in your chart that's it's a, it's an, another funny story that's just like a series of sinks right I, I used to be a circus performer. I was a circus performer from 18 to probably 27-ish, thereabouts. And the main circus that I would do is I would spin hoops. I would spin hula hoops, double hoops, and a little bit of Lyra, the ho aerial hoop. So that originally was where the names Saturn got brought in because I, my stage name as a circus performer was Saturn Web. It's weird because now I do also have a thing about spiders, but, um, but it was just because of the ring. It was just Saturn's ring. And I don't know, like weird goth girl. So Saturn Web, that was my thoughts behind that. Then when I was trying to come up with a name for the platform, truth be told, I did not know at the time that Saturn ruled my chart. I was not as versed in astrology. I actually thought that my main planet was um, Mercury because I have a Gemini ascendant. So I was kind of going in more Mercury name directions. And then one of my best friends, from my circus years said, oh, what about Saturn web? Like you did for that. And I was like, oh, maybe. And then my partner at the time, who's still one of my best friends, he said, I think it should be Saturn Vox. It's literally, I let other people make that. I thought, oh yeah, Saturn Vox, Saturn speaks. And I already kind of knew I wanted to potentially do a podcast at the time. So I thought, oh, that's perfect because Saturn speaks. So Saturn Vox. Um, then I got a reading from Sasha Ravitch. <laughs> and she was really the one that pointed it out to me that, yeah, Saturn, like, it's not a joke for me. Saturn really does rule everything around me. Right. It is, it dominates every other planet in my chart. So it, it's just one of those weird sinks, you know. That's that's so interesting. Really, really interesting. Um 
and I love that. I love that kind of like unpacking one's chart and and um, you know, getting those kind of insights and understandings. Like mine's full of Pluto, like uh, and you know, it just ties in exactly with these areas of exploration. It's like um, it's always been. I mean, you know, reading the, using the kind of you know the bullshit apps that I use to to uh, <laughs> to look at this kind of stuff. It's it's always kind of you know you you you'll be drawn to the occult. My yeah yeah. <laughs> oh, you have a lot of Scorpio in your chart. I'm Scorpio Moon, yeah, and um, but I think I think there's a couple of placements as well. I have to I have to check. I've been signed out of the app that I I have. <laughs> I haven't bothered signing in again. I can't remember my password, and uh, it's the kind of thing that I'm very lazy at. Uh, once I have to reset a password, I'm like, we're we're breaking up, me and you, yeah. me, me and this app are breaking up. If they want me to reset something or fill out any kind of form, that's a instantaneous no no. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, Scorpio, Scorpio Moon. Um, that's the principle. Um, well, that's all I know really. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm terrible at this stuff. Oh, that's okay. I am not an expert either. <laughs> I sometimes pretend like I know what I'm talking about, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I, it, it, it is remarkable, you know, like looking at these areas and then seeing kind of like 100% kind of reflections of your own behavior kind of played back to you. I like it is, it, it can be quite illuminating. Um, and, um, and, and, shocking at times when when you think about the level of complexity that uh, has gone into this system um, i mean it's a huge level of complexity that goes into the system and where all that came from that that's the bit that blows my mind it's it's when i think about like well how was this determined you know when you start looking at those kind of ideas and really like pulling those threads and you get this whole thing of like well you know you had the end of the ancient kind of Babylonians um, had lots of time to look at the sky and I, yep. and all this kind of stuff, you know. And I, it was, I think, like thousands of years or maybe yeah. 1,000 years of them. It was a theocracy there, um, the Babylonian Empire and the Mesopotamian Empire. So when the, they were actually considered like government workers, <laughs> which is crazy if you think yeah. about it but so yeah and it was so that they they would say oh the sky was in the it looked like this and here's what happened yeah and yeah. they compile that data for a thousand years or so before they start going okay we see the pattern which is wild i mean basically they're the first data scientists yes i completely yeah. agree yeah hey, that's remarkable it really is um, and when you then think about it in terms of that has to be manually indexed, you know, like there's no, there's no search string queries that you can use to automatically pull back, you know, how many instances happened when we, when we had that particular bad war, you know, that came out of nowhere or, you know, you, when you're establishing these kind of like life changing events, how do we determine those patterns? That all has to be manually indexed. How I cannot imagine. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I don't think I've got the cognitive capacity to even, you know, comprehend. It's too, the time's too big. The variations are too big um, to comprehend. I love it. So intriguing. So interesting. Now, I, um, 
I wanted to ask you about um, ancestor work as well because um, I've I've seen that come up in in your in your work and what you you've what you uh, present on on Instagram and into in terms of your your heritage and and Kabbalah and I guess to to talk about it has that always been there has that been something that's kind of surfaced of late you know or has come through ancestor work you know could you talk to that yeah um so no i it has not always been there um if anything you know i i'm basically estranged from my entire family i am not close to a single person in my family. And I, it's really been that way since I was a child uh, because my parents, my mom had me at 42, my dad was 50. His kids were having kids when I was born. And she also had a child 13 years older than me. They just basically decided to start this family with me like after they had already completed their other families. So that the age gap, along with the fact that I just think that my brothers resented the fact that my dad chose to be a father instead of a grandfather, just created a lot of tension between me and this idea of family. My dad's grandparents already passed away. My mother only has, you know, her grandma left. So like, I don't even really have the grandmas or anything. Um, so what happened, like, is that my mother died. My mom passed away in September of 2019. So it really wasn't even that long ago that I started connecting with my ancestors. Of course, through the pandemic, every year feels like five now. So (laughs) maybe I have been at it for longer than I think. But, um, so yeah, she died. I guess it was September of 2019. And that October was when I set up my first ancestor altar. At the time, I had already been pretty heavily studied in Kabbalah with a Q, you know, like uh, Israel Rigardi and the Golden Dawn and Aleister Crowley. Like I've been reading from the Thoth deck and I had learned how to read tarot by learning Kabbalah. So I'd already been a part of that, right? So it's kind of funny. This is another one of those, oh shit, this is real moments is I used to read my ancestors books uh, early stages of the pandemic when we didn't really have anything to do. It was easier to just maintain this weekly habit where I would sit and I would read to them for about an hour or so. And I wanted to get to know my Jewish ancestors. They were the ones that I was more, I was more removed from that than uh, my mom's side of the family. I was raised Catholic. My mom would take me to see the family in Kentucky three times a year. So, but my dad's family from New York, we never went to go see. So I really had no real idea about Judaism or Kabbalah with a K, except for the fact that I did date a rabbi's son for a while. And so I was able to learn some things from 
Rabbi Weinrich. But for more, most intents and purposes, I didn't know anything. Anyways, I, I sit down to read my ancestors, Israel Regardi. And I just start hearing this in the back of my head. Don't you read us that. We don't want that. Get that. How dare you sort of thing. And it's like, he's anti-Semitic. We don't like him. And I had not really, it seems weird to me now because it seems like so obvious that there is this problem and this tension between the two camps. But again, Sincerely, at the time, I really did not know that there was so much tension. And I looked it up and I, I was like, oh my God, there's a large amount of tension between these two camps. So that's when I kind of just threw myself into Judaism, Jewish mysticism from its original standpoint, because I had received so such a loud message from my ancestors you know, pick this path, not the other one. Like, we want you to study this. We want you to know this, but we don't want you to do it the way that you're doing it. So I took that and I ran with it. And now I guess it's been three, three or four years since then. And I probably study Jewish mysticism more than any other type of mysticism at this point and it is it is an ancestor thing it is it's not that I think that Kabbalah is the right way to do mysticism I don't think that there's a right or a wrong way to do mysticism I have a very instrumentalist view of a lot of these concepts I don't think that I'm very agnostic at the end of the day I've pantheism I do believe in, but from there, it's like instrumentalist only. <laughs> um, but I, to me, it's like when I practice Kabbalah and I read Kabbalah, I feel my ancestors with me. And why would I not want their help? Why would I not want, you know, they're one of the spirits that whisper enlightenment in my ears. It's like I have ancestors who were likely students of this. And so they will be like oh yeah here's what that means <laughs> you know if I was do when I did that from the Buddhist perspective that never happened I never had those moments of somebody whispering in my ear you know that's so interesting uh, so interesting thank you for sharing that um it's it uh, I, I always end up in this position right so from you know, like as much as you're immersed in this world, as much as you start, we still have this rational brain. And like, cause I've, I have a similar, I have a similar thing, right? And it, and it's very much in this, in this kind of folk magic, kind of traditional kind of British and Irish witchcraft, you know, um, kind of that world, right? Now, and I've, I've looked at some different forms of, of much like yourself, different forms of mystic expression of magic, different methodologies, different um, different ways of engaging with the other uh, and understanding the universe. And you, I, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, this bit seems to just speak to me, you know, and but I also seem to be able to be 
automatically good at it or automatically have an understanding you know um, and, and, and i i find it really um really reaffirming to hear that from you you know what i mean um but what i used to kind of wonder and in the, from that rational brain i was like is this some sort of genetic thing you know through ancestry and 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 then kind of kind of developed that like i actually think well that's kind of you know very um reductionist you know to think about it as kind of like it, this is just kind of you know a physical output as it were through genes and uh, a friend of mine was talking about ancestors to me and from this perspective i was saying that there's an entanglement like there we have a kind of like a spiritual entanglement with our ancestors and some of them are really looking for someone in their line to have the have the, the, the kind of capability to express certain talents you know and and and, and play them true so I, I just that was all kind of firing off my head when you're when you were describing this you know and and you're you know you're 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 bringing that work out it's really it's really interesting i love that i but i love to hear that kind of like living ancestral connection i think it's wonderful like um i really do um and to 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 that end you know what what has it brought to you what what has that journey with your ancestors in this area of learning you know what what has it brought to you well i mean i'm at the end of the day besides like what you're saying i do feel like they participate in the magic that I do with me. If I am involved in doing a magic that's of a tradition they would have done. Like I oftentimes can see them in the back of my head, like there with me. But that is kind of secondary to me, to the psychological benefit. Because like I said, I was really outcasted from my family. I was very ostracized from my family. I was a very angry child for being ostracized from the family. A lot of issues of with self-love because of that very in my face being told that I wasn't welcome sort of thing. That when I started doing ancestor work and was received with open arms, both sides, didn't matter, dads, moms, just to be said, oh my gosh, we love you so much and we are so glad to have you here. That healed so much more inside of me than, you know, the, the, this feeling of power that I get when they participate in magic. It's, that's nice and I'm glad that that does work that way but I would have I would still throw myself in head first just for this feeling of unconditional love from the dead you know that's uh, really moving that's that's uh, what a wonderful wonderful uh, outcome that's fantastic you know um and, and, and I really do think this is an area that um is is so important for people to explore ancestor work you know, it, you heal the past and it heals you, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, I was going to say a living relationship, but it's a really bad choice of words, you know, uh, but, but it's, it's an active, 
an act, maybe an active relationship, participatory. I don't know. I you yeah, might it's interdependent. Yes. Oh, lovely. There we go. There we go. Um, it really is. Um, and some of the stories of ancestral healing are really remarkable. How, but the how patterns manifest and 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 materialize in in one's life. Um. Sometimes in the most vivid way, <laughs> um, you know, and um, it sounds like it's been really like that for you. That that's um, that's that's uh, so really really moving, um, and and in terms of your practice with within that tradition within that area of of, of exploration, is that something that you're you're driven? To express further is it is it an area that you you wanted to to teach is it an area you want to to go into f deeper learning or what what's the avenue for you there i feel like if right now in, in that area i only feel comfortable putting on the hat of a student and then you know whatever happens with that however i feel like what I'm called to as I'm graduating different levels of studenthood. You know, it, it, I'm not saying that I won't ever teach it. I just don't know right now if I would ever go down that path. Um, because right now I'm really actually trying to set better boundaries with them. Um, because, well, like they fight over me, you know, and I find that to be annoying because it's like, I don't really want to be Catholic or Jewish. And I feel like both sides are like, pick me, pick me. And whenever I kind of overindulge in one, the other side can feel a little bit neglected. And, you know, that's been hard when I've had to come up with how am I going to do my weekly rituals with them? And my mom's side of the family is like, pray the rosary. And my dad's side of the family is like, we don't know, celebrate Shabbos. That's weird. Don't pray the rosary. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I just like, kind of have been telling them, you know, look, I have to, I'm, I'm neither, I'm both. I don't have, I don't like labels. Please just let me study what I, and let it unfold naturally. Um, and they, they've been receptive, they've been receptive to that. So I don't have the answers yet, but you know, that's a part of having Saturn in the ninth house and it being my Saturn return is I'm just from the way that astrology works. Like if you view astrology as fixed fate, I would not be fated to have an answer to that question right now anyways. <laughs> So I'm actively working through it as we are talking. And in terms of, you know, you're, you're mentioning a lot, a lot of complexities there uh, around managing, uh, in effect, kind of, as you said, boundaries and, and kind of man managing the expectations of, of, um, of various parties of ancestors. What, what advice would you have to somebody who is, you know, starting ancestor work in, in, in the broadest sense in, you know to be in a granular thing you can tell them no <laughs> you can't and they're not gonna get mad yeah. and they're not gonna get offended like i i feel like that's something that was said to me that i did not take to heart mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i was like 
I'm emotionally struggling <laughs> that I remembered that advice. And it's, it is, it's totally fine. They don't mind. They just sometimes get a little excited, especially if you're the first in, in the line to mm -hmm. contact them in a long time. Right. I don't want to claim that I'm the only one in my line ever, but definitely in the past, you know, good three or four past generations, I'm the right. first in a while. So yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. I would like to, to, to ask if people want to find out more about you and, and your work and, uh, and, and uh, you know, listen to your show, what's the best way that they, they can do that? So, so I'm on Instagram and a Twitter at Saturn Vox. So just Saturn VOX. Mm -hmm. Then the podcast can be found anywhere that podcast can be listened to, wherever you're listening to the one that this is. Mm -hmm. Just go in the search bar and type Saturn Vox and it'll come up. And then, yeah, my website is just saturnbox.com. So it's all pretty cohesive. And in, and are you, you bookable for readings, that kind of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do readings. I'm bookable for readings. I also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash saturnbox. So those are some other good resources. My blog is free. Feel free to check that out off of the website. Um, which is also happens to be where you can book readings. Brilliant. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, thank you for coming on Spirit Books. Oh, me as well. This was such a joy and a pleasure. that was a really engaging conversation some great food for thought there if you'd like to know more about Makala or her work with Saturn Vox then check out the show notes below and you can find all of the uh, all of the areas where Makala is sharing her knowledge right that's it from me I'm Dara Mason you'll be listening to the Spirit Box talk soon and take care bye